0: Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Hey, hey, sweet friends. Welcome back to another incredible episode on the Love Your Bod Pod. Um, I hope you're having a really awesome day. My name is Kara Corinne Safeli. I'm a certified holistic health coach. I help men and women, all human beings, heal their relationships with food and transform the way that they relate to their body and help them take their time and energy and brain space back from diet culture and the pursuit of thinness and all of the things. It's my favorite thing to do. I'm so grateful for this work. I'm so grateful to have you here listening. Thank you for spending some of your day and your time with me. Today we have an awesome guest. Their name is M, and M is the author of the awesome blog, This Rawsome Vegan Life. I have been following their blog for years like a really freaking stick and long time and it was one of the very first blogs I ever came across when I was entering into recovery and when I was transitioning to a plant-based diet and a lot of you guys know I'm no longer a vegan but I still eat loads of plants because they're delicious and fun and colorful and I love to cook with them but uh, Em and I talk about a wide range of topics today. Topics that maybe at first don't seem relatable to eating disorders and body image and diet culture and like food obsession and we dive into some of the like histories and the roots of these topics and we're both still learning about them. I don't think either of us would call ourselves experts on the topics we discuss today. We're we're both very much still students of this of these new ideas and theories and histories and information and yada yada. But we have a great conversation, we talk about complex issues, confronting issues, topics that are sometimes easier to just brush under the rug and not acknowledge. Um, I just wanted to give you a heads up also that there's a little bit of choppy internet connection for the first like 9 or so minutes of the interview. So please bear with us. Please be gentle and kind and compassionate. I did my best to edit out all of like the skipping bits. And I did my best. And I I think that you can understand what Em is saying through all of the editing. Um, But then eventually Em moves to another room. And the internet connection is better. So there isn't really any of that after the first nine minutes. So without further ado... Let's dive into the interview. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. Today, we have a really awesome guest with us. M Von U is the creator of the award-winning blog, This Rossum Vegan Life at thisrawsomeveganlife.com and best-selling author of four cookbooks, Rossum Vegan Baking, 100 Best Juices, Smoothies and Healthy Snacks, The Rossum Vegan Cookbook and Rossum Vegan Superfoods. I'm sorry, just Rossum Superfoods. (laughs) M's passion in life comes from friendships, food, wilderness, mindfulness, art, and lots of dark chocolate. They have presented at veg expos and festivals across Canada and the US, and their work has been featured in publications around the world. M lives in the lower mainland of British Columbia, Canada, on the traditional and unceded territories of the Mesquiem. Squamish and Salawattooth First Nations. M uses they, them pronouns as they are non binary and gender non conforming person. M, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yes. And that was like the most beautifully imperfect reading of a bio ever.
1: <laughs> no, it was good. But yeah, last name Von Yu.
0: <laughs> thank you. M <laughs> Von you. Thank you for getting it on there correctly. I apologize. It's
1: good. No, it's all good. I'm a
0: little nervous. I have been a reader of your blog for years, since I think 2012, I was like sitting here thinking about it. So I'm a little nervous to have you on, but I'm so
1: excited to chat with you today. Yeah, I'm also a little nervous because you're amazing too. So,
0: <laughs> Oh, well, good. Well, let's just revel in these like butterfly feelings. Yes. <laughs> okay, uh, let's dive into the questions. So a quote that I love, and if you've been listening to this podcast, I read it on like almost every episode, but... It says, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all the difference in my life. And that's by Steve Jobs. So can you connect the dots for us? What led you to start your blog, this awesome Vegan Life, the beautiful cookbooks you've written and how that has influenced and impacted your relationship with food and your body?
1: yeah so thank you for that question. I think that quote is I, I like that quote because um it sort of gets at like all the multiple factors in our lives that come together and influence us, and sometimes we aren 't even aware of what those factors may be until we have right like uh you know hindsight is twenty twenty kind of a thing so and i i'm really into self reflection um So I do think a lot about like, okay, who am I now? What am I now? And what factors kind of brought me here, even though I may not have known them at the time to be like really big influencing pieces. But um, so I think as far as starting my blog, so when I was 16, um, I read some, I, I honestly, I was trying to remember what the book was, but I really can't even remember, which is so funny. But it was this like book that was promoting, it like vegan diet, although it didn't use the terms, um, and it you know used a lot of pseudoscience, but it also used sort of these analogies that made a lot of sense to my sixteen year old brain. And um, I was learning about the environmental and animal welfare veganism. And it really it, it resonated with me in a lot of important ways that are still that are more resonant even now. But in a lot of ways, it also it influenced me in ways that were healthy as well. And like, I'll get into that. But so then I became vegan, and I started making recipes of my own. I was really into baking, like, with tons of butter and stuff before I went vegan. And so I just switched that all into more vegan um, and predominantly, like, dessert, mostly desserts. And I would share those with my family and friends. And um, some people suggested, like, these recipes are so good. Like, you should start a blog. And- so I made myself a little blog on blogger and um, I'm a Virgo. So I had to sort of like perfect everything. Um, so I used my photography skills, my recipe development skills, um, my writing on social media and just, you know, it's gradually built to this. And I've gotten my book deals sort of because my publisher found out about my blog and all that. Um, other factors that were at play... That really influenced like my raw veganism, which ended up turning into like a very disordered situation for many years. Um, some influences were definitely coming from diet culture. A huge part of why veganism appealed to me at the time, especially raw veganism, was because I was really stuck on the idea of the purest diet, the cleanest diet, um, and the diet that would you know keep my body very small and. I don't know, elevate me to like this next level. Um, So while a lot of it was, you know, they were factors that I'm still feeling strong about today. A lot of them were quite damaging and it's taken me years to sort of heal from those and I'm still healing, but I'm also really grateful that I've been able to kind of go through my whole process and stay vegan. And that's not to say people who need to stop veganism because it's triggering or not get into it because it's triggering, that's totally fine. But for my own experience, I'm happy that I've kind of been able to find nourishment being vegan. Um, and basically now what it means to me is, is very different. And like, yeah, what, what nourishment means to me is very different.
0: Mm, I, um, I loved what you had said and I'd actually love, like, can you tell us about that switch between what nourishment used to mean and what it means now?
1: Yes, historically for me, it's meant only in terms of the literal like nutrient content in food, which is very boring. Now. <laughs> There's so much. More. Um, so I'm not really very hung up on my nutrient content anymore. Whereas for years I was literally obsessed with it. Um, you know, for a long time, nourishing meant it had to be raw vegan, fully unprocessed, um, and my food rules were kind of, um, I don't know, it wasn't so much about the calories, but it was about, like, the quality of the food, and so raw, raw veganism, like, was my disordered eating, Um, so I wasn't so concerned, like, if it had a ton of fat content, or, like, if it had so many calories, but it had to be, like, as unprocessed as possible and plants. Yeah, I can understand that. Cooked food, yeah, and, like, cooked food was not nourishing. Like, steamed broccoli was not nourishing. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah, and, like, and that's not to say I wouldn't eat cooked food when I was trying to stay raw vegan. I did because, like, hello, the body needs what it needs. Um, But, you know, the guilt would be so overwhelming I couldn't even enjoy what I was eating. Now, nourishing basically means, like however people want to define what's nourishing for them, I'm fine with that. Like, I think so many different things can be nourishing. Like, a loan, a hug from a friend, or a smoothie can be nourishing, a bath, an album, you know, like, the texture of a blanket, or the smell of sesame oil. Like, it's just, it's whatever you know is serving you and feeding you in some way, whether that's physically, emotionally, like, spiritually, however you want to describe it. Um, and the like content of we're just like gonna change over time, you know, what you're needing, what your body, your mind, your spirit is needing. I think a challenging aspect to finding what's actually nourishing for me now is staying attuned to my body and listening to my body authentically. Um, we're taught a lot in Western culture anyway, that's the culture I know. Um, to ignore a lot of our body signals and really, like do harm to the body um, in order to fit into categories that we, we need to fit into and to ignore a lot of our body signals and what our body is trying to tell us. And I sort of lost the ability to listen to what my body was telling first and through intuitive eating I've gotten more in touch with my body again and so now kind of learning to listen to my body again it's easier to understand what is nourishing for me at any given time but that is definitely a challenge for you know a lot of us who are like but what is nourishing because I don't know what my body is trying to tell me like I'm really not sure what I need right now yeah I
0: So I can totally understand why it would be challenging to have to rediscover how to listen to your body, especially after years of listening to all of this outside chatter about what's good for your body, what's nourishing, and then have to rediscover for yourself what that is. So I can personally relate to that. And I also, I think many women can. So it sounds like you had discovered a lot of information about plant-based diets, about raw vegan diets and you had learned so much that you almost became a af- not almost you became afraid to eat anything that wasn't within your sort of box of nourishment
1: yeah totally like um completely controlled by my fear like it was it was overwhelming and it's wild because i've I've changed so much, um, and I've unlearned so much, uh, but I do remember, it's hard for me to imagine now, but I, I do remember so clearly, like, days and weeks and months and years, like, the majority of the day, I was only thinking about food, and not in, like, oh, I just love food, isn't it the best? It was, like, it will make or break me if I eat that cracker, like, it was, um, it was so huge in my mind. Like it was so important that I eat the quote unquote right foods and never let a bad food, quote unquote, enter my body. Because then I don't know. It felt like the world would end.
0: Yeah. I think that we we think those things. Like we just build them up. They bubble up inside of our body and they just get so overbearing. So when did you finally start to be like, hey, maybe this isn't Good, maybe this fear is irrational. Like, what was kind of like the first maybe like seed or light bulb moment where you were like, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, shockingly, eating just fruit didn't make me feel great, <laughs> so um, I started just feeling yeah, physically unwell, like lightheaded a lot of the time, I didn't really have a lot of energy ever. Um, and my cravings for foods that I had deemed unacceptable were so strong. I felt out of control and it just got to a point where I, it didn't seem sustainable and I didn't feel well. And also I was holding myself to standards I would never hold other people to. I started reading some books which were um, talking about how, you know, I think they were still like vegan and very whole foods oriented, probably had like a lot of fat phobia and stuff involved. But the messages in those books that I needed to hear at that time were, you can eat as much food as you want you know, make it the right food, which, like, no thank you anymore, but, um, (laughs) the fact that it was, like, um, about abundance and not restriction in, in certain ways was what I really needed to hear at that time, and that was, like, the first sort of stepping stone, because I remember thinking, oh, yeah, maybe it is okay to eat cooked food, maybe that's okay, like, (laughs) um, and so I started incorporating, like, cooked foods again without guilt, right? Um, of course, there was still a lot, but, like, I tried to have it without guilt. Then over, you know, several years, I just became a little bit more lenient with the foods I allowed in. And I thought, and then at that point, I had recognized, wow, what I was going through for so many years was actually an eating disorder. Um, and... I finally was able to identify that because when I was in it, I was totally aloof and in denial about it. And, um, when I was able to identify it, I started down this path of like, I've been calling it like pseudo recovery because I thought that I was like healing myself and like, look how much food I'm eating now. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause I would eat more than anybody else around. And like, I, like anybody else around me. And, um, I was so passionate about, like, eat whatever you want, and it's okay, and, like, don't, like, yeah, um, don't restrict and all this stuff, but I didn't realize that just because I was eating huge amounts of food, I was, it was actually coming from a place of, you know, I was wanting to eat so much food all the time because first of all, I had been starving myself for years, but also I was still restricting myself in the way that like, okay, now I'm eating tons of like tofu stir fry, but like I would still not allow myself to eat processed foods. (sighs) And so I thought I had recovered on my own. And then a few years ago, I started listening to Food Psych, um, Christy Harrison's podcast, and it suddenly hit me like, babe, you are still so disordered, um, you have been, like, emotionally and actually restricting so many foods still, you still have so many food rules that you've been following and not identifying as food rules, um, and, like, disordered behavior, and so over the past few years, with the help of, like, a ton of really good resources, um, I've been able to truly unpack and unlearn, like, the remaining (laughs) diet culture thoughts and of course they'll always be in there like it's not like i'm you know done or like you know i really get now what dismantling diet culture is about and taking down all the food rules i still have lingering in my brain
0: yeah yeah i can i can relate to to that too okay so on your blog you had um so you started sharing about your disordered eating and how it's been something that you've been dealing with for over a decade And you've been sharing, you know, grilled cheese on this Mm -hmm. Rossum vegan life and that you're redefining what the word healthy means for you as it relates to food. So can you share about that evolution? You said you've been meditating on these ideas for a while. So how, what does healthy mean now? I know we talked a little bit about nourishment in the beginning, but -hmm. can you expand upon it and how you got to that place?
1: hmm yeah <laughs> yeah as you said I'm like oh right yeah grilled cheese on this raw some vegan life it's funny and I still get some people being like this isn't raw what is this <laughs> um uh yes I I've been going through like all these phases in my recovery of like finding these foods that I would not allow myself to eat like it was unthinkable for me to eat and um, I've just been going in on them so like ice cream, pizza, um, hash brown patties, potato chips, and grilled cheese, um, so I, I was in this, I'm kind of over the grilled cheese now, because <laughs> I go hard, and then I'm done, um, but I was having it like every day for a few weeks, just until I was like, okay, I genuinely am I'm, I'm good with grilled cheese for now, but um, ugh. So good. Yeah, that recipe is. Um, so yeah, like that is, you know, years ago I would I would not have understood what I'm saying now, but like now I understand that grilled cheese recipe with all the oil and like processed vegan cheese and oh my god, white bread, um and vegan butter is it is healthy for me now because it means like and we can get into this more too, but um for so long, like my disordered eating was fueled by thoughts of judgment and critique and cruelty about myself um and fear and guilt and shame and while you know those thoughts may have gotten me to eat a diet that this society would deem like quote-unquote healthy i.e like fruits and vegetables um it was not coming from a healthy place and it was not coming from a place of self-love or compassion it was coming from a place of really self-harm so it may have like looked the part, but, um, underneath it was just very toxic. And now while my diet may not like quote unquote look the part of a healthy diet, um, especially according to my former, like my historical self, who was like very, very rigid in their ideas of what is healthy. Um, but you know, now that it, looks different and I'm eating a lot of processed foods and a lot of like oil and salt and refined carbs and whatever. Um, it is actually the most nourishing and healthy diet. It could be feeding myself because underneath now it is completely fueled by self-compassion, care, kindness, and healing. And, A big part of it, (laughs) I like get emotional when talking about this, but a big part of it is that I did not allow myself to eat these foods for years, and I would tell myself really mean things um, about if I did eat this food, what would happen and what it would mean about who I am and what I am. And now that I'm letting those voices go, and I still hear those cruel voices from time to time that, you know, try to guilt and shame me, but I just say, thank you, no, thank you. (laughs) Um we're actually going to enjoy this wonderful food because you have permission to eat this and nothing bad is going to happen. (laughs) Um, In fact, it's going to taste great and you're going to get on with your life. And that is the kindest thing I could be doing for myself right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I completely understand that, Mm
1: -hmm. that
0: the sanity and the mental peace and the compassion and the love is such an important, viable component Of food and Mm -hmm. when we reduce food down just just to physical nutrients we're kind of taking away so much of what really what food can offer and -hmm. bring to our lives which is that joy
1: right joy and like pleasure Um, and like texture and like you said fun right? And I don't know. It's like, you can be curious and really aware of what you're eating. And yeah, it can just, it can be about like the sensual experience of the food. And, you know, there's all these extra aspects that are so enjoyable and like pleasurable with food that, you know, like I was saying before, like if you're just looking at the nutrient content, like that's so boring. Yeah. <laughs> um There's so much more to food than that. And there always has been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really got that it's that, right now, eating, allowing yourself to eat those foods is like unbelievably nourishing for you. And that, and it's because you don't just have a physical body, like you're a mental, emotional, spiritual human being having this like really beautiful whole experience. Mm -hmm. You're not just like a machine that we're like, you're not a car that we're putting gasoline into, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. And like, oh, that hits on such a good point. Um, that relates to Like, we want to talk about, like, capitalism and the body and food because, like, that conceptualization of the body as a machine is, like, such a capitalist understanding. And, um, like, when capitalism was kind of developing, and um, I would really recommend that people are interested in, like, capitalism and feminism and, like, labor and the body and gender and stuff, I'd really recommend a book called um, Caliban and the Witch. Uh, Women, the Body and Primitive Accumulation by uh, Sylvia Federici. Uh, and she talks about how uh, you know, as couplism kind of was kind of being developed, um, these understandings of the body as a machine became really prevalent. And that stripped away um previous understandings of the body as like a spiritual um entity in space and time, and, like, an emotional entity in space and time, and it reduced it to this unit that was only relevant as far as its, like, capital production goes, Mm. Um, and, yeah, so, like, what you're saying, and this is all part of, like, decolonizing as well, is, like, understanding the body as not just oh, like I'm only going to eat food if it has like this many nutrients, or I'm only going to eat food if it give you know, gives me this vitamin and anything else is not relevant, um, then it's not really important. You know, it's like, no, food feeds the soul, food feeds the heart, food feeds like social relationships. Um, and it is so much more than just like uh, getting enough like fiber, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Totally. I mean, is there more that you'd like to add into that? Like I'm,
0: I'm so curious, uh, about like the capitalism and colonialism. Like, is there more that you want to share on that? I find that so fascinating and it's something I'm only still beginning to, to learn about.
1: Yeah. So it has helped me like the framework of, um, diet culture as a symptom of, like the poison of colonialism has helped me so much in my understanding of it and in my own dismantling of it for myself um because it's allowed me to understand it as um not just you know i think diet culture does this to so many of us in its insidiousness making us think this is my own personal failure <laughs> my body is a failure and i need to fix it and if i can't that's that's also my problem and no one's body is a failure. <laughs> um but yes. we are taught to believe that and really make it about the individual self which is again like a very like uh capitalist idea too. Um but yeah, so understanding diet culture as a symptom of colonialism, it's allowed me to understand my body is not this like separate entity. It is actually like part of a culture that views bodies in a very specific way and has historically viewed bodies in a very specific way in terms of, like, hierarchies and, like, who gets the power and who has access to what and who's deemed, like, most human and who's deemed least human, and this relates to gender and race and class and able-bodiedness and, you know, the kind of ideal human body form according to those who have sort of declared as such has been white, male, and male, and, like, behaving in a gender-appropriate, heteronormative, cisgender way, um, in a thin, uh, productive body, so, you know, not disabled, um, and, white women are kind of allowed into this idea of like, who is human, but also in a very gendered way and sort of more as an object for men than individuals unto themselves. And basically everybody else, like, (laughs) um, people of color, disabled folks, anybody who is not fitting into the very, like, boring and rigid cisgender heteronormative standard, um, has been deemed kind of not, as human right and this is these are all um huge pieces of colonialism and they're still like extremely present today um understanding how all of these things are connected makes it so clear that this is actually political and it's not just like i wasn't just like living in a vacuum over here and i i happen to like get these ideas from you know who knows where it's like these ideas have come down from like hundreds of years of history um telling societies who matters and who doesn't and um being queer and trans myself like that's been another piece of like okay like i don't wait but like i don't fit but i'm trying to fit but like i could never fit like this this system was never even made for me and wait the system is fucked like this was never going to work. And I do have a lot of privilege as a white person in a straight-sized body. Um, I do have kind of like some chronic pain and a lot of like mental health stuff, but for the most part, I'm not um, super disabled. And I have a lot of access and privilege because of how my body looks and sort of what I was born into and also recognizing, like, being from a white family in this country, and with the history of white supremacy and colonialism, like, white families, um, have been able to accumulate more wealth while taking it from, um, communities and families of color, especially, uh, black, black communities and black families, and so, We see this still today, right, with who has what access, who has what power, who has what privilege, and so it's not a coincidence that I'm from a white family and, like, we have sort of financial stability, Um, and so that is from hundreds of years of history, right? So that's what I'm born into, and I have a lot of access and privilege, but even still, like, that is access, that is privilege, that is power in a system that will never serve everyone. And so it's an unfair and inhumane game all around. Like, (laughs) only a few people will ever win in this terrible, terrible game. So, which is why, like, decolonization is important, recognizing these systems and their insidious, insidiousness is, is vital. But I also do want to point out, like, you know, I'm not over here, like, thinking up these, these ideas, um, on my own, like, I've mostly learned all this information from, um, amazing people on the internet, and I do want to just, like, give credit to a few folks, including Erica Hart, uh, Virgie Tovar, uh, Bad Fat Broads, the podcast, um, Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast, Uh, Ruby Allegra, Um, Ash's podcast, The Fat Lip, Soleil and Zahir's podcast, Racist Sandwich, Uh, a couple Instagram accounts called Rooted Resistance and Decolonizing Fitness, Uh, Ashley Nicole Tribble. There's so many folks who have been talking about this stuff for so long. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm really just learning from them and sort of, uh, taking in what they're saying and realizing, oh my gosh, like, this, this is relevant to us all and this is how this is showing up in my life kind of a thing. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope that made sense.
0: All of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I can really see how like diet culture is such a part of that, of trying to get people to conform and to get people to look a certain way so that they can be valuable, productive members of society. It's like very much a like, get in line, do what you're told. And I really see the deep rooted generations of how this has been passed down. And you talked a little bit about generational wealth and how it, how over time it's been systematically much easier for, for white people to accumulate wealth because we had property rights for basically since america was a thing and it hasn't always been the case and how it just relates uh there's there's uh so many overlaps here and i don't think that unless you are open minded to the possibility that like the pressure we feel to shrink our body is related to such these deep-rooted issues it's not something you would ever think about mm mm-hmm. You know, I think we just think about it with like Hollywood and celebrities and models. We actually don't see that it is such a political social justice issue.
1: Right. And like it's yeah, because we're we're we are not taught like in in order for the current system to function, like people can't know that it's so uh inherently corrupt and yeah. not for human beings. Um so we're not taught this information in the education system or anywhere else. I mean, I am living on stolen lands, right, of several different nations. The whole continent has been colonized. People have had their lands, their traditions, their languages taken from them. Um, and yeah, you know, I didn't learn about that in school. Like, you would not even be aware of that if you don't listen to certain voices or research for yourself, and that is so pathetic. (laughs) Um, Yes, like you're saying, it is totally all connected, as so many super intelligent people have already pointed out. It's not just about me wanting, like, a thigh gap for no reason. I mean, that right. is totally connected to a history of, like, okay, like, the white body is the most ideal body, and if you're in a uh, so-called woman's body, this is how you should look for these particular reasons, and it's never been about, it's never been about self-compassion or community, feeding the spirit or anything. It's, it's been about, like, okay, who is who gets to have, yeah, this, like, wealth accumulation, and who gets the power of sort of controlling capital production, and it's just, it's really been, like, a lot of toxic white masculinity, and just, like, people wanting things they don't need at the expense of other people, and, yeah, it's, like, we need to take it all down and recognize, you know, me thinking, like, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Raw foods were, like, the answer to, you know, everything, and that's all my problems. Like, that is not just in a vacuum, that is connected to an entire history.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see the connection and, and I, I love Virgie Tovar and I've listened to Christy Harrison's podcast and I've learned a lot. And you mentioned some new, um, resources as well that I'll make sure go in the show notes on iTunes for people. Yeah. Um, I
1: can like link to all the accounts and like websites too, because I mean, yeah, don't even listen to me. Like go follow these people, um, who are saying like super, super smart things and unpacking things I never would even have thought of on my own. And I'm so grateful for the like the teachers that are out in the like cyber world.
0: Yeah the beautiful thing that has come out of the internet and has come out of social media, because th- there's definitely things about it that can cause a lot of harm. But the fact that we can spread information in a way that we've never really been able to before, and that we can hear people from all varying walks of life talk about their life experiences. Because like you said, it's not like we're taught in school that we're living on stolen land. So we need to learn that from other avenues. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's people who are going to be able to speak to these topics that we're talking about in much more of an effective manner with a lot more experience and knowledge. And, uh, cause I'm learning about all of these things too. Like the whole idea of this being a political issue is something that's only being brought into my awareness in the last like eight months, maybe, you mm-hmm. know, um, right. I've always associated the dieting and the thinness with just like being sexy and like Like just isolated, right? Like I never realized that it was part of this bigger thing, but like, you're right. We don't think that we need to be pure in a vacuum. We don't think that we need to be thin and have a thigh gap in a vacuum, (laughs) you know, like something I'm like really starting to see and be able to distinguish is how, Years ago, centuries ago, larger bodies were more desirable bodies because it meant that you had money, that you had wealth, that you had community, that you could afford enough food to survive. So, like being fat was a sign of wealth, it was a sign of class, it was superior. And now, as time has evolved, as the food system has evolved, diet culture is now praising thin bodies because, you know, processed foods, lower nutrient quality foods are the more affordable foods and be and to be able to have time and money to devote to pursuing health to devote to cooking foods from scratch to afford a gym membership of afford a trainer afford plastic surgery so those are all you have to have money for that and that is a sign of class and wealth and and like privilege and so now thinner bodies are the more valuable bodies and there's so much classism and privilege wrapped up in being able to pursue health and to pursue wellness and to pursue exercise and that isn't to say that like you can't care about like health and wellness and fitness and whole foods and like not be a good person you can of course care about those things but You can actually see how body size has been used as a form of oppression and a form of distinguishing, you know, high class people from low class people or valuable citizens from unvaluable citizens, right? Like the kings from the peasants or whatever. We didn't come up with that stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, Yes, 100%. Like it's not just about, yeah, and it's like, why do we feel this? this desire to, like, look a certain way, and, you know, yeah, it's, like, okay, like, we're all trying to, like, race for our place in this hierarchy, but, like, again, like, like, most people are never gonna win if we keep these hierarchies up, so instead of, like, and, of course, you know, it's, certainly, I'm saying this was privilege that I, sort of have the choice to, like, get out of the race to enter the hierarchy, but, like, I'm really trying to get out of it, um, and fortunately I'm in a position where I still can have, sort of, access to income without having to try to fit into a hierarchy, because fitting into it does give you privilege, which gives you access to income, and, um, like, your basic needs, and a lot of folks don't have the privilege of being like, yeah, never mind, I don't need that, right, um, so I'm saying this with a lot of, a lot of privilege, but yeah, I'm choosing to, like, you know, back away from (laughs) the hierarchy and really try to decolonize my own life and talk about that with other people, too, and what that can look like for each of us, because it's going to look different for everybody, and we're all sort of at our own, own stage in the process, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I've only become more and more aware of the privilege I've had over the last year of being a thin white
1: Mm -hmm.
0: cisgender woman who fits a lot of society's ideals. Right. You know, and I've talked to a lot of women who have also been made aware of it. And I think we fall into this trap of like feeling guilty, but, but feeling guilty doesn't, doesn't, isn't necessarily like helpful. Like I got maybe where the guilt comes from, but But what's more important is that we have compassion, we recognize the privilege, we acknowledge it, and we talk about what we can do about it and how we can actually be more inclusive and be more supportive. And like you said, pull ourselves out of the rat race to be in this social hierarchy of bodies Mm -hmm. to make the world a more fair and just place, you know?
1: Yeah. The guilt is not serving any... And no one is like asking people with privilege to feel guilty about their privilege either. Like that's not serving anybody and it's so natural that that comes up but like you know we just like have to process that as we do and then yeah exactly move on and figure out like okay what ways in my life with the access that I have and the energy that I have can I you know give what can I give to make the world look more like a place for everybody everybody is a human
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Sometimes, this is just a side note, but like sometimes the reality of the world really weighs on me. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like I don't have it's like this whole thing like, what's one little human being gonna do? Like, how am I gonna be able to make a difference? That conversation I'll have with myself. But then I'm like, well, what's the other option? Like, doing nothing? Well, that doesn't work either. You know, <laughs> like.
1: Right. And like, you don't have to do it all either. (laughs) Like none of us have to do it all. We can all just do what we can. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit with what we had just talked about. Um, But why do you think so many women are developing disordered eating and fear of fear around refined foods and processed foods? We talked a little bit about it, but can you dive into it a little bit more, a little bit more about this, our experiencing and uh, the political influences animal agriculture socio economic realities, you know why do so many women feel like they have to be thin and pretty and have a thigh gap
1: yeah, yeah, so i think we've we 've kind of been talking about it it 's completely related to this um history of sexism of racism of ableism of fat phobia um, uh you know queer phobia transphobia like it's it's all of these. Um, histories of exclusion. And so who's left a very narrow idea of what it looks like to be a person. And so for those of us who are taught, okay, this is the hierarchy you need to adhere to, and it's going to bring you these things it's going to bring you this access and this privilege well okay yeah like i want the access and the privilege like i'm going to try to conform to that i'm going to try to adhere to that especially if implicitly we're told like from day one this is what it means to be the most human and um this will bring you like the happiest life if you look this way and whatever (laughs) whatever junk else we're told um so I think there's huge, huge pressure for all of us to try to conform to these really violent standards of exclusion. And again, like almost no one will ever win. (laughs) Um, but we are gonna try, right? So I think that's what that's about. Um, and I also think like, I kind of, I was thinking about this a little bit and I, I wanted to bring up, um, the, in, in terms of, trying to eat like a healthier diet or whatever and like i like the wellness culture and like clean eating is like so it's so hot right now um yes it it's is really, it's really the new thing right and so first point is that like what we have defined as healthy has changed over time and it changes um depending on the politics like the sociopolitical landscape of you know whenever and wherever you are because um, in the 80s, or whatever, I think, like, fat was the demonized food, and then it was carbs, you know, it just, it changes with the, the politics of the time, and also, um, well, yeah, like, a lot of other things change with the, uh, with time and space, but, um, which just shows how arbitrary they are, and socially constructed they are, and so the idea of um, wellness is, is that as well. And so now it's, it's very much like Whole Foods and, um, you know, like materialist self-care and a lot of different concepts come up. And, um, I, I read an article from Bitch Magazine a while ago. Um, and it kind of is connected to this. So it's, it's by, um, Banny Amore, and it's called "The Heart of Whiteness: On Spiritual Tourism and the Colonization of Ayahuasca." Um, Ooh, yeah. done that to me. Yes, I will. Um, yeah, Bitch Magazine, Bitch Media is so good, and this article was really good as well. Um, okay. And another article from um, I think an online magazine called Re Asian, the article is called "Turmeric Tax," and it's by Sam Liu. Both kind of get at well, Amore's article has one really good piece, so I'll just read the quote. Yeah. Uh, the heart of whiteness is nothingness, and its function is to consume and destroy. It can never heal so long as it exists. That really struck me. Like, the heart of whiteness is nothingness. So because race was created basically to put people in hierarchies and surprise white folks at the top. Um to we are yeah (laughs) what (laughs) um so so in order to maintain and create a system where basically folks of color were just not paid for their work for centuries and white men were (laughs) um yeah so race is a socially constructed idea as is gender as are a lot of things um constructed in order to make hierarchies so certain people are privileged certain people are disenfranchised whiteness was is it also a social construct and so you know i'm not saying like having like western european heritage is socially constructed like literally my relatives are all from my ancestors are from um you know germany switzerland england and uh in holland um so that's not like socially constructed um but the idea of our whiteness is because whiteness is toxic to white people because it strips up, strips us of our own humanity and our own history and and it is nothingness because it's a social construct created out of a really uh violent hierarchy so that's why the heart of whiteness is nothingness sort of what that author is getting at too is like, okay, like, so because a huge part of our identity is for white people is wrapped up in this, this like nothingness, this lack of identity, and only being able to identify as an oppressor, um, and as a colonizer, whether people use those terms or not, that is never going to be nourishing at its heart, right? Um, unless we actually do the work of decolonization. But, um, if we aren't doing that work, then we're searching for this answer of like, how do I really nourish myself? And, um, like as a white person, as an oppressor, as a colonizer, and you can't, you have to decolonize. Um, but if you're doing that work while holding onto those identities, like you're going to, a lot of the time it, it ends up looking like, um, just sort of a, more colonization. So, a lot of white folks, you know, in this article trying ayahuasca um, and appropriating that ceremony. And, um, you know, a lot of people, like, a lot of like settlers burning like white sage um, without understanding the indigenous uh, history of that herb and all kinds of different cultural appropriation. And that article I think is so smart because the author is saying like this is fueled by sort of the emptiness that is at the heart of being an oppressor. (laughs) Um, and like we're trying to find these ways to build our identity and it's just, if it's only going to be in terms of like appropriation and more oppression, like that will never actually inherently or like fundamentally feed anyone. Mm. Um, and so anyway sorry so i go on tangents but getting back to your question um <laughs> i think part of wellness culture and all of the and like a big part of it is like oh this new berry this like undiscovered herb or like from like quote unquote africa like oi um it's just a lot of like neocolonization and i think it's sort of part of this like yeah like a neocolonization of like um Okay, what else can we look at? What else can we find that will finally, um, you know, make us feel like meaningful and satisfy us, and you know, make us feel fulfilled? And um, it will never work when you're operating in like an oppressive system, and you're and you're the oppressor. But like, it's like we're we're still on this search of like, what can we take from other people? <laughs> what wisdom can we take from the other um, to make us whole? you know um and i don't know i only just thought about this like this morning so i'd love to find like if people are talking about this elsewhere because i think it's kind of an interesting point you know like um in in what ways are is wellness culture connected to appropriation and like neocolonization
0: yeah Well, it makes me think of capitalism, a hundred percent, and consumerism. It's like, ooh, we found like the super berry that's gonna save your life, and we're selling a whole bunch of products, and it's like the hot thing, right? Like goji berries were gonna save us once, acai berries were gonna save us once, Uh, (laughs) you know, like maca berry was gonna, you know, maca root was gonna save us, turmeric was gonna save us. Celery juice. Celery, right. <laughs> you know, like, we've gotten a little more basic with the celery juice, but Uh-oh. but it's like we're always finding these other things from other cultures because, like you said, this whole idea of, like, whiteness, this new colonization, this new existence, especially in the Western colonized world, we... Like we're kind of, we don't have like our own necess, like our own real roots here. And so we're just taking from all these other cultures. I had never thought of it this way. I had thought about the consumerism aspect of where it's like, we're taking these, like and even Sage and Palo Santo, which I do really yeah. love Sage and Palo Santo. Right. But like knowing that it's actually come from these other cultures and we've taken it and we've kind of made it this trendy, really cool wellness thing online. And same thing with all of the superfoods that have come and gone over the years, again, like acai and goji berries. Uh, But it's a way to, like, sell a new product to us, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, even the um, matcha green tea, you know?
1: Yes, exactly, right? And, like, yeah, you know, it's, like, where you need to interrogate, like, oh, like, in what ways am I... um, uh, What's the word? was reinforcing my role as an oppressor and as a colonizer. Um, And, like, I, I do have um, some really nice much tea, and I love it, so, um, I have been sort of just researching, like, some books that I can learn about the history a little bit, and just sort of take in that practice more gently, and more, like, cognizantly of, okay, what is my place in this tradition of this ceremony, right, right. um, yeah, uh, yeah, like, veganism, that's, like, a whole other discussion, but, like, it has its own, like, very real problems of, like, appropriation and um like fetishization of like other like other cultures and like lifeways um eh, that's a whole nother (laughs) discussion though yeah like we're talking about like uh, you know berries from the amazon and you know um and just like ah like you know uh, companies that are totally white owned And have, like, all the white employees, but then they sell a product that's grown in, like, a region, um, in a country in Africa, and so their website is just, like, black people just, like, smiling in a field. (laughs) Um, but then you research more, and it's, like, the whole company is actually, like, white-owned, and, you know, all the highest-paying positions are white, and then, um, they're saying like, oh, like we support communities in need in this community. And it just, it, it all feels very much like the white savior complex. Um, and then there's a lot of racism within veganism in terms of how people talk about meat products from other cultures, like, especially, um, like I'm thinking of China and like, and like shark fin soup and stuff like that. And the way these things are packaged as like disgusting and evil in uh, by some by some people in the vegan movement, it's it's in a way that like touches on race that is totally unnecessary and very insensitive to the cultural history of like certain foods
0: mm. as
1: well. You know, of course, this is not to say like. <laughs> like, all vegans are racist or anything like that, you know, there's, there's a ton of amazing people, I mean, I am vegan, probably will be vegan for, you know, as long as I live, um, it's super important to me, and it's an amazing, um, and important lifestyle to choose if you have the access, and it's nourishing for you. But at the same time, like I'm all about nuance and so simultaneously there are a lot of problems in veganism. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. I think it's just being able to look at it holistically and to look at the gray scale and not be so black and white and not be like, it's the way, the truth and the light, but to see like, you know, this is something I'm really passionate about. I really care like whatever your reasons are, your values about the animals or the environment um, or caring about all living creatures, like whatever it is for you that makes you feel Really passionate about it doesn't mean that you can't also acknowledge these other p- components of it you see as being problematic, you know. And I really feel the same way for me. Like, I am someone that does care about eating whole foods and cooking for myself and being mindful of like farm subsidies, crop subsidies affecting mm-hmm. food pricing and food availability. Like, that is actually something that I do care about. That doesn't mean that I can't care about those things and then also be an advocate for this anti diet movement and for overcoming our fears of processed foods. Like I think that uh, Ernest Hemingway, I think is who said this, but he said true intelligence is being able to hold two opposing thoughts consecutively in mm. your mind at once.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe it was F. F- Scott Fitzgerald. Gerald. Someone fact check me. <laughs> but being able to have them both coexist and being able to be at peace with the fact that they coexist. and that Exactly. Having- that just because one exists, it doesn't mean the other can't exist. You know, and I, I think that this polarization, uh, like we even see it in our politics with like red versus blue. I know that you're not American. Um, <laughs> in America, yeah, yeah, but, like,
1: but, but we can't like over here, we cannot help but know what's going on in your political realm. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: you know, just how it's like, we can't somehow believe that like multiple ways of living can coexist. It's either like this way or that way. And it's like, I'm sorry, I, I see lots of different colors I don't, you know what I mean? So um, you said a lot of really valuable things and I want to be mindful of your time here and of the listener's time. So thank you for all of the topics you brought up today. Um, Really important topics, topics that might be brand new to some people who are listening and they're important topics and I'm really grateful that they're being talked about more. Let's uh, wrap this up
1: um yes and sorry if i'm like if i just go on rambles i kind of just i go on my own way and just can talk for a long time but um like also like i would i'm um, if you ever want to have like a part two like i'd love to keep talking because i <laughs> i feel like there's so much more we could like even what you just said i have like so many points like i would love to get into
0: all right all right all right. that is part one there is absolutely going to be a part two M and i continued chatting for a while longer and I'm really excited to share that portion of the conversation with you. So stay tuned for that. Or perhaps you're listening to this like way after the publication date and part one and part two are available right now. So be sure to check that out. If you are interested in learning more about the topics and the resources that M mentioned, they were kind enough and so excited and willing to put together a google doc with all of the resources that they mentioned that they're learning from all of the different experts so if you are curious about what we talked about today and you want to learn more we have a google doc for you so i'm going to put the link for that in the show notes on itunes in the description on itunes now if you don't have an iphone and you don't listen on itunes but you still want access to that you can shoot me a DM and I will share the link with you. Um, or you can email me at info at Kitchen.net and I will also share the link to the Google Doc with you. Or you could contact M as well and they would, uh, they would be willing to give it to you as well. So I hope you got a lot out of today's conversation. Again, lots of complex topics and sensitive topics, controversial topics. Oh my gosh, I hope no one is angry with us for exploring these topics. I know that they can be polarizing and all of those things. So anyways, thank you for spending some time with me today and listening to this podcast. Please share it. If you got a lot out of it, send me an email. Let me know your thoughts. Come say hi to me on Instagram at Kara's kitchen. And I hope you all have a really amazing day and I'll see you all soon.